What's up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles here, aka the Kimura King, aka the Ayatollah of Ankle Locks. Guys, it's been a while since I've done an episode. Um, I wanted to make this one episode, but I realized there's way too many stories for that. So I'm going to stick to um, cutting it into three different episodes. This is my time working security and bouncing. I have a ton of stories. Uh, It's a lot of fun to talk about. I definitely had a great time in bouncing. I would have stayed in it if there was more money, but there's a cap into how much money you can make. And it could get, um, you know, in the way of other careers that you have. So I hope you guys like the episode. Before you listen to it, though, go give me a follow at K-O-O-L-R-A-K at Immortals Jiu-Jitsu. And make sure to buy my instructionals on BJJ Fanatics, Sultan of Strangles Scarf Hold Series, and Iranian Body Lock Systems, Weapons of Past Destruction. Thank you so much for your support, guys, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Nigerian night. I will never forget as long as I live that night. Nigh fucking Nigerian night. So I used to be a bouncer. I said, you know, uh, I was working a, a regular job um, and I needed some extra money. So I'm like, you know what? Let's do this. Not only am I going to make money, it's going to be an excuse for me to actually leave the house because I was, you know, I was literally just staying in on weekends. It was a weird time in my life. Like a lot of my friends were just getting married and um, it was a weird transitional phase in my life. Um, A girl I'm talking to currently kind of is going through that right now. She's like very cool, very smart, very fun, and um, she just doesn't see her friends because her friends are going other places and isn't having fun with her friends anymore because they just do very superficial, dumb things. So I was going through a weird stage. It's like my friends are getting married. I don't really want to find new friends. Um, So I'm like, let's you know what, let's become a fucking bouncer. So I did. And my first uh, try at becoming a bouncer, my buddy Jesse gets me a job in Hoboken. I am standing in a dark corner the whole night um, doing absolutely nothing. The more experienced guys work the door. So I'm literally standing there doing nothing the whole night. I think it was... What was it? I think it was 8 o'clock 
to seven, eight o'clock to three a.m., eight p.m. to three a.m. Horrible. Second night I do it, I come in for an hour, drive all the way to Hoboken. They says, "Hey, uh, it's a light night. We don't need you. Send me back home." So it's like, I drove all the way, took time out of my life to come work, and you'd send me back. And I just told the guy, like, man, fuck this. This is a joke. I don't know what happened, but I was on Craigslist looking for some, you know, extra extra work. And I found another place. Fire and Ice in, was it Edison? It's on exit 130. You would think that this place is like a safe place because, you know, it's Edison, Indian. Um... The top floor is black. The bottom floor is Indian and Pakistani. Um, Little did I know the fucking wild shit I would see here. This was some of the most fun times of my entire life. Holy shit. I don't remember why I stopped. I think I stopped working there because of personal training. Personal training. I I was trying to become a personal trainer at the time. Um... So, I start there on my first night, and, and um, I'm working the door, which is awesome. It's summertime, it's warm out, I'm at the door. I honestly, sometimes I think about going back, to be honest. I'm making good money now, sometimes I'm thinking about going back just because of the amount of fun I had at this job. I would work the door, I would make friends. For some reason, when you're a bouncer, the babes like you. It's weird. I'm like, why are these girls talking to me? I was getting numbers, um, making friends. And then after a while, I um, kind of figured out a system. Everybody was asking for a cigarette when they were outside. So what I would do, I would buy a carton, not a pack, a carton of cigarettes. Put it in my car and I would carry a pack on me at all times. And every time someone came out and asked for a cigarette, I'd be like, I have one for a dollar. And I would sell so many cigarettes every night. So I think the pay was some really bad. I think it was like 12 an hour. So I would sell, I don't know, a pack a night. I don't know how many cigarettes that is. And of course I'm a scumbag, so I would take bribes. We weren't allowed to have people come in with hats or Tims or certain attire. So I would go to the guy, hey man, listen, can't let you in like this, but uh, you know, maybe you could give me a little something to convince me otherwise. And uh, I would let him in. You know, they'd pop me a 20. If some guy's trying to impress his girl, he'll give you like a 40, 60, sometimes even a 100. So I kind of found ways to make money. Um, but yeah, back to my main point, Nigerian night. So anyway, I keep getting backtracked. Nigerian night. Um, As I mentioned, the top floor of Fire and Ice was black or mixed. The bottom floor was Indian and Pakistani. So different types of fights, you know. Top floor people get drunk. Someone talks to someone's girl. There's a brawl. In the Indian and Pakistani community... This is anecdotal evidence based off of me working there, by the way. So I am not generalizing anyone here. 
because people love to fucking generalize. I am not generalizing anyone. This is based off of my experience working at one club and seeing um, this repeat offense in the, in the community that I was working with. You wouldn't find too many fist fights, but you would often find women complaining about men groping them. And I would go downstairs, a woman would come complain to me, I would go downstairs, and I'm thinking it's going to be like some scumbag with bloodshot eyes and like shitty clothing and like just looking like a dirt bag. It was always, almost always like some nerdy, innocent looking dude. And I'm like, no fucking way. So I would have to fucking tell these guys, you know, it's time to get the fuck out of here. Sometimes they would resist. Most of the times they wouldn't. But regardless of whether or not they resisted or not, if you're groping women, you got to pay. So on the way up the stairs, I would give them a couple rib shots, you know, like 50% rib shots and then tell them never to come back, you know, because you got to you got to let them know, you know. And they would thank me, but then other times a guy would grope a girl and then her cousin or her brother, whoever was there, would fight. And there would be like a a kind of a brawl, but nothing that I couldn't break up by myself. You know, the Indian guys were a lot more lenient, you know, you, I throw them around a little easier. The top floor, not really that good of an idea because you would probably get shot. Um... There, <laughs> the way we had to frisk, <coughs> the way we had to frisk people was so fucking stupid. Let me tell you. Um, and everyone would com- complain about this. The guy who um, who was the in charge of security was this cop, I believe, is a correctional officer, and um, the the head of security under the, him was this guy. I forgot his name, but anyway. We would have to ask people to turn around. <laughs> so you come in, right? And uh, when I asked to frisk you, I'm like, can you please turn around? And everyone gave us an attitude. Why are you asking me to turn around? What, do I, what is this, jail? And I'm like, man, it's just a protocol. And you would be shocked what I would find. Knives, guns, drugs. And I'm like, Bro. there was this one time this guy comes in with a holster, like a, like a holster. Uh, and I'm like, dude, you have a fucking gun on you. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a cop. It's good. I'm like, no, there's no guns allowed in the club, bro. Go back to your fucking car. Um, knives, um, women carrying knives in their bras, drugs, cocaine, taser. This girl had a fucking taser. She brought her taser. Um, another thing, everyone would. Li- for some reason, we, we wouldn't allow lighters in the club, so we'd hold on to that. And everybody would forget their lighter at the end of the night. So I had a big cache of lighters that I would sell on other nights to people. So as you can see, it was a good job, if you were clever, to make money in other ways. Um, yeah, so the groping was a big problem. On the top floor, just fighting was a, was a huge problem. And man, I had to break up some crazy fights. 
Nigerian night, Nigerian night. Keep fucking getting fact track. All right. So here it goes. As I mentioned, top floor was black, white mix. Bottom floor was Indian. So um, sometimes the Indian people went upstairs to party. Sometimes the black and white people went downstairs to party. And we had little odd, uh, odd instances in that case. There was this one guy. Pakistani guy um, he owned like 20 gas stations made a lot of money very unattractive um, and he would like try to dance with girls and mostly get rejected and one night he goes and tries to dance with this girl and her boyfriend the freaking 6 foot tall jacked black guy um, starts getting in his face so they walk outside and this guy's about to knock him out and I, I intervene he's like this guy was trying to dance with my girl and he's like no no my brother my brother no 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 and I'm like hey listen um, he's really drunk he's an idiot I'm sorry I'll kick him out just uh, you know he's let's let's just uh, let's just not let's not do this no fuck that guy and he's fucking getting in his face again. And uh, and then he pushed me. So once he pushed me, I said, hey, man, listen. I've been real lenient with you. I'm kicking him out. But you cannot put your hands on me. You cannot put your hands on me. And he said, what the fuck are you going to do about it? So at that point, I'm already in a bad mood. I'm like, am I going to wait for this guy to fucking punch me? What's great about jujitsu, and what's great, the reason my boss loved me, and I always was able to either diffuse the situation by with words or number, because I didn't have an ego. I was fighting all day. Uh, or I would be, be able to nonviolently stop a situation without punching anyone. So I shoot a double leg on the guy. I put him on the ground. I mount him. He goes to punch me in the face from bottom mount. And I grab both of his fists. I'm like, are you good? Are you good? He tries to bump me. Are you good? Are you good? I get cross face underhook. I put my shoulder pressure in him. I start smothering him. And now he's freaking out. I'm like, are you good? Are you good? He's like, all right, all right, I'm good, I'm good. Get off, get off. So I get off him. I help him up. By the way, this was when I was green in bouncing. I didn't really understand how dangerous it could be because later on I would know not to help people up um, so I just said I kick him out of the club just go back inside um, I shouldn't have <laughs> I shouldn't have let him back inside first of all someone assaults a bouncer you don't let him back inside but I did and then the Pakistani guys and all thank you so much for saving my life you are uh, number one number one I'm like thank you so much brother and, um, and I look at his finger. I see this. Uh, it's called a Firuz Aghir. I think white people call it a gate. It's this very sacred ring in Shia Islam that you wear on your pinky and your ring finger. Old men and clerics wear it, but also gangsters wear it. And during this time, I, I still am. Definitely always be an Iranian gangster. But this, in this time of my life, I was neck deep in this, in this, uh, in that like gangster culture. So I, oh my God, that's beautiful. Where'd you get it? Because you can't get them in the U.S. 
He's like, oh, I got it from Pakistan. I'm like, oh, you're you're a Shia. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, wow, it's such a nice ring. He takes it off and he's like, I want you to have it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Because those rings are like extremely expensive. No, 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 no. He tries to put it on my finger and it doesn't fit. So he's like, I'm going to come back. I'm coming back next week. I get you the real one. So he comes back next week and he gets me a legit Firuz Aghir, the the blue agate ring that is authentic and uh, and the and silver as well. And I wore that on my on my on my uh, pinky finger for for many years. Um, and that guy's still a good friend of mine, by the way. So Nigerian night. <clears throat> Every once in a while, the the club had Nigerian night or some type of African themed night. Uh, you know, we'll get a DJ play like African music, um, and I'll never fucking forget this night for the rest of my life. You know, one guy comes in, I pat him down. And as I'm patting him down, I just feel his body, no homo. And it's just solid fucking muscle. Like, you know, you pat people down, you feel they're fat, they have bitch tits, you know. Like, yeah, you know, this guy's not going to be a problem. Guy comes in, solid muscle. Like, his whole body was just, like, made of iron. Six feet, six two, two twenty-five, just a monster let him in another guy comes in I pat him down six foot four solid muscle easily around 240 pounds lean I'm like okay go in another guy comes in six foot five probably 250 lean a lean 250 huge and at this point, I look at my fellow bouncers. I think there was only like four of us working. And I'm like, God help us if there's a fucking fight tonight. If there is a fight tonight, we are all dead and there's no way we're going to be able to break it up. When you look at the UFC, we got Kamaru Usman. We got Israel Adesanya. We have Francis Ngannou. Nigerian people are just tanks. All of them. All of them. And it was packed. This place was packed. Everyone's having a good time. Playing nice Nigerian music. And I'm like, alright, you know, this is this is good. We don't have to worry. Everyone's cool. People are coming out, smoking, I'm making friends. And then I'm inside, I'm watching, and the one Nigerian motherfucker. By the way, there's like different tribes in Nigeria. I don't know the names, but sometimes the tribes don't get along with each other. And I think these guys were from opposing tribes. So, of course, the smallest motherfucker in the entire room decides to start a fight. And when I tell you that World War Three happened, I kid you not, that World War fucking Three happened. Everything, tables, speakers, lights... Uh, curtains, microphone stands, bottles were thrown. And 
I don't know how we did it, but we managed to get the brawl outside. And once it was outside, I'm like, all right, guys. I'm like to the head of security. All right, man, let's go. Let's go try to attempt to break this up. And the guy was like, nope, it's not our problem anymore. And what ensued was like a fucking maybe. It seemed like such a long time, but it was maybe five minutes total. But to me, it was an eternity. Just the biggest brawl ever I've ever seen in my life. Like 50 versus 50. Just beating the fucking shit out of each other. Smashing each other through car doors. Um, um, fucking throwing shit at each other. Oh, yeah, I missed the part. While I was inside, as I'm breaking a fight up, I'm trying to separate two people. Of course, I get elbowed in the face. Of course, I end up with a bloody nose. Of course, I have no idea who hit me. Even if they did hit me, there's not like I could have done anything about it anyway. So the cops come. And they're trying to figure out who started the fight. They can't find out. No one gets arrested, thank God. Um... And Nigerian night was the wildest night of bouncing I've ever seen in my life. And thank God I came out of that alive. Alright guys, hope you enjoyed that episode. Before you leave to go about your miserable lives, make sure to share this episode on whatever platform you have available. Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, whatever exists out there, TikTok. We're really trying to go to the next level here. And the only way we could do that is if you could help us. Remember, Instagram at K-O-O-L-R-A-K, at Immortals Jiu Jitsu, at Rambling with Rack. Make sure to buy my instructionals, Sultan of Strangle Scarfhold series, Iranian body lock systems, weapons of past destruction. Hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. I remember um, listening to this quote. It said, you must run your business. Do not let your business run you. And I took a look at myself And I looked at my current situation, doing what I love every day, you know, but my fucking business runs me. I don't run my business. My fucking business runs me. And this is why. Um, I don't, I don't claim to be the best teacher in the world, but I, I have trained with the best in the world. My coach is the best coach in the world. So because of that, my students want to learn from me downside is when I leave for a week to go train in Austin, compete in ADCC, compete in Worlds, right? The attendance drops by about 50% to classes and it takes about two weeks to recover from that. Meaning the week I leave, class is usually about 30 people. 
they drop to about 15 and then they stay 15 for about two weeks when they go back to about 30. And that's a huge, huge problem. That That's really bad for a business owner to have your classes drop like that. That means that I am bound to my business. If I leave it, if I'm not fucking staying there and babysitting, it all goes to shit. So what I need to start doing is training my own students. They're, my students are very skilled. You know, they have the gold medals to prove it. They have the accolades to prove it. What I need to start doing more is training my students on how to teach and not just how to teach technique, how to build up their personalities, uh, build up their leadership skills so that people want to come to class more. You know what I mean? Now, look at this from another way. Let's, and this has happened to me, by the way. This has fucking happened to me. Take someone under your wing, teach them everything, um, turn them into a good teacher, good leader, and then they go open up their own shit. You also need to be aware, of, uh, very weary of that. I remember once I was told, you know, teach people your shit, but keep a couple up your own sleeve too. And uh, that kind of stuck with me. I don't do that, but I can understand why people would. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm currently dealing with. Um, my business hundred percent runs me and the tax business. Um, it really took a lot out of me this year. Uh, I had so much shit to do and the whole time the tax returns are on the back of my mind. When am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? Just draining me. So this year I did not accept any new clients. I only, I, I fired about five clients, my annoying ones. And I took on about uh, two easy ones, and that was that, and it was still a fucking pain in the ass. So I'm going to taper it down next year, and the rest of this year, uh, I'm going to really take it to the next level with the with building up my gym. I hired a consultant, Pat Cooligan, definitely knows what he's doing, and I plan to really make a make a mark this year 